0: This is a Socialist News and Views special report.
1: I'm Nick Schillingford, coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this special report. Is the world on the brink of nuclear war? Note, I'm aware the Betteridge's Law of Headlines states that any headline that ends in a question mark can be answered by the word no. To be clear, it is true I will not come to a definitive conclusion on this point in this short podcast. I'm not an expert on geopolitics, war, or nuclear arms, but I think we can use available information to paint a picture of where we are now and where we could be heading in the future. I was previously debating about what I would cover in this first special of 2023. I had previously considered devoting a special to this topic last year, but other pressing local issues took precedent, and again, I'm not an expert on the topic of nuclear arms or war. It was an article on Al Jazeera on January 3rd of this year that pushed me to move forward with this special. The article was titled, Biden Denies U.S. and Talks on Nuclear Exercises with South Korea. It wasn't specifically the nuclear exercises that drew my attention, but Joe Biden's continued obfuscation of facts. The article quotes the South Korean president, Yoon Suk-yeol, as saying they were in, quote, talks on joint planning and exercises involving U.S. nuclear assets to counter North Korea's nuclear threats, end quote. The article says when asked about the truth of this statement, Biden simply responded, quote, no. The article then paraphrases the South Korean president's senior secretary for press affairs as saying, quote, Biden had to say no when asked such a direct question on such a sensitive matter, end quote. The article says these exercises are in response to increased rhetoric from North Korea and Kim Jong-un's claims of his country's increased capabilities. So what can this tell us about other possible nuclear escalations? probably the most prominent in people's minds, is the potential for nuclear escalation related to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So I went and looked for Vladimir Putin's most recent comments on such. Again, I am no expert on the conflict there, so I can't account for the accuracy of his claims, but Putin certainly seems more open to a discussion of this issue. For example, Putin used the word nuclear 16 times in his December 21st 2022 speech to the Defense Ministry Board in Russia, and I from outside was able to easily access a full transcript in English of this speech. In the speech, he said in part, quote, The Ukrainian leaders are resorting to prohibited warfare, including terrorist attacks, contract killings, and the use of heavy weapons against civilians. The Western countries are trying to ignore this, as well as instances of nuclear blackmail, including provocation against the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant and plans to use a so-called dirty nuclear bomb, end quote. Also, quote, during a special exercise, the strategic nuclear forces successfully trained in delivering a large-scale nuclear strike in response to the use of weapons of mass destruction by the enemy, end quote. So Putin appears to speak openly of at least one example of nuclear training exercises that Russia is conducting, and I am able to easily find that content. So I went to the White House portal for the president's speeches and remarks. I searched the word nuclear, and the two most recent hits were from August and September of 2022. But they were both related to South Africa and nuclear energy. I had to go back to January to even find a mention of the word Russia and nuclear in these documents. And it was only in the subheading of a document on the U.S. review of the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons, which we will get to later. There were no official statements by the Biden White House included for all of last year on either the U.S. or Russia's plans as it related to nuclear weapons or nuclear conflict. So I had to turn to other media sources to come up with any perspective from Biden on this conflict. Biden did do an interview with CNN's Jake Tapper, which aired on October 11, 2022, and did cover the issue of Russia and nuclear conflict. While other presidential CNN interviews have been included in the White House briefing room database, This one was not. I was able to find that transcript from CNN on their website. Here's a little over a minute clip from that interview.
0: High stakes war in Europe. Uh, You recently said that this is the first time since the Cuban Missile Crisis that there's a legitimate possibility of someone using a nuclear weapon, which could lead to Armageddon. That's the word you used. how realistic is it, do you think, that Putin would use a tactical nuclear weapon? Well, I, I don't think he will, but I think it's irresponsible of him to talk about it. The idea that a world leader, of one of the largest nuclear powers in the world, says he may use a tactical nuclear weapon in Ukraine, and the whole point I was making was it could lead to just a horrible outcome. And uh, not because anybody intends to turn it into a world war or anything, but it just once you use a nuclear weapon, the mistakes that can be made, the miscalculations, who knows what would happen. What is the red line for the United States and NATO? And have you directed the Pentagon and other agencies to game out what a response would be if he did use a tactical nuclear weapon or if he bombed the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Ukraine or anything along those lines? There's been discussions on that, but I'm not going to get into that. It would be irresponsible for me to talk about what we would or wouldn't do. Have you asked the Pentagon to to game it out, though? I mean, just in case? The, The Pentagon didn't have to be asked.
1: So, in short, Biden thinks the leader of a major nuclear power even talking about the use of nuclear weapons is irresponsible and could lead to, quote, Armageddon, even if not intended. But the Pentagon, without even being asked by the president, according to Biden, carries out simulated nuclear weapons exercises. And the carrying out of these exercises is not what could lead to possible unintended escalation in nuclear war, but it is the talking about it that could. Hmm. So if, in fact, the Pentagon is, quote, gaming this out, end quote, without being asked, let's turn to what the U.S. National Security State is saying and doing in relation to nuclear conflict. On October 27, 2022, the Department of Defense released its National Defense Strategy document, which included a nuclear posture review. Here are a few paragraphs of that nuclear posture review read by AI.
0: For the foreseeable future, nuclear weapons will continue to provide unique deterrence effects that no other element of U.S. military power can replace. To deter aggression and preserve our security in the current security environment, we will maintain nuclear forces that are responsive to the threats we face. U.S. nuclear weapons deter aggression, assure allies and partners and allow us to achieve presidential objectives if deterrence fails. In a dynamic security environment, a safe, secure, and effective nuclear deterrent is foundational to broader U.S. defense strategy and the extended deterrence commitments we have made to allies and partners. Security architectures in the Euro-Atlantic and Indo-Pacific regions are a critical U.S. strategic advantage over those governments that challenge the rules-based international order. These regional security architectures are a key pillar of the national defense strategy. This nuclear posture review underscores the linkage between the conventional and nuclear elements of collective deterrence and defense. Deterrence alone will not reduce nuclear danger. The United States will pursue a comprehensive and balanced approach that places a renewed emphasis on arms control, nonproliferation, and risk reduction to strengthen stability, head off costly arms races, and signal our desire to reduce the salience of nuclear weapons globally. Mutual, verifiable nuclear arms control offers the most effective, durable and responsible path to achieving a key goal, reducing the role of nuclear weapons in U.S. strategy. Despite the challenges in the current environment, the United States will continue to pursue engagement with other nuclear-armed states where possible to reduce nuclear risks. We will do so with realistic expectations, understanding that progress requires reliable partners prepared to engage responsibly and on the basis of reciprocity, and with whom we can establish a degree of trust. Russia's invasion of Ukraine underscores that nuclear dangers persist, and could grow, in an increasingly competitive and volatile geopolitical landscape. The Russian Federation's unprovoked and unlawful invasion of Ukraine in 2022 is a stark reminder of nuclear risks in contemporary conflict. Russia has conducted its aggression against Ukraine under a nuclear shadow characterized by irresponsible saber rattling, out-of-cycle nuclear exercises, and false narratives concerning potential use of weapons of mass destruction. In brandishing Russia's nuclear arsenal in an attempt to intimidate Ukraine and the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, Russia's leaders have made clear that they view these weapons as a shield behind which to wage unjustified aggression against their neighbors. Irresponsible Russian statements and actions raise the risk of deliberate or unintended escalation. Russia's leadership should have no doubt regarding the resolve of the United States to both resist nuclear coercion and act as a responsible nuclear power.
1: The document also discusses the leaders of the P5, i.e., the declared nuclear weapon states of France, People's Republic of China, Russian Federation, United Kingdom, and United States, affirmation that, quote, nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought, and that nuclear weapons should serve defensive purposes, deter aggression, and prevent war, end quote, and reiterates the U.S. commitment to its disarmament-related obligations under the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons and working with other nuclear powers. But the document says, quote, Russia's rhetoric and actions in Ukraine are inconsistent with and undermine this P-5 statement, end quote. In the section of the overall National Defense Strategy document with the italicized title Deterring Russian Attacks, it says in part the following:
0: The department will focus on deterring Russian attacks on the United States, NATO members, and other allies reinforcing our ironclad treaty commitments to include conventional aggression that has the potential to escalate to nuclear employment of any scale.
1: So in sum, The statement says the U.S. Defense Department continues to see the U.S. nuclear arsenal primarily as a deterrent, but is willing to, quote, escalate to nuclear employment of any scale, end quote, in order to deter Russian attacks on the United States, NATO, or allies. But according to the strategy document, quote, deterrence alone will not reduce nuclear danger, end quote. So according to their own statements, both the U.S. and Russia are willing to use nuclear weapons under given circumstances. Given this fact, it becomes necessary to understand the interrelated ideas of under what circumstances nuclear war could take place, and how likely it is to take place, especially as it relates to the current war in Ukraine. One important element of this calculus, if you have any faith whatsoever in the words of the governments that represent the current nuclear powers, is what is known as no first use. Wikipedia says this, quote, refers to a type of pledge or policy wherein a nuclear power formally refrains from the use of nuclear weapons or other weapons of mass destruction in warfare, except for as a second strike in retaliation to an attack by an enemy power using WMDs, end quote. Neither the U.S. or Russia has a clear statement that they will refrain from using any nuclear weapons unless directly attacked with nuclear weapons by another nuclear power. Again, according to Wikipedia, quote, China and India are currently the only two nuclear powers to formally maintain a no-first-use policy, adopting pledges in 1964 and 1998, respectively, end quote. It also says Germany proposed a no-first-use policy for NATO in 1999, but it was rejected. The U.S. and Russia have been intentionally vague about the exact situations in which they might use different types of nuclear weapons. So will they be used in the current situation? Here's a clip from the War on the Rocks podcast, which is billed as National Security for Insiders by Insiders. The podcast title is Nukes, Negotiations, and Lessons from the War in Ukraine. The podcast is hosted by Ryan Evans, and the episode features a number of professors from Air University, including Andy Aiken, an associate professor of international security studies at the United States Air Force Air Command and Staff College, who previously studied in Russia, Mark Conversino, a full professor and provost chief academic officer at Air University with primary study in Soviet Union and Russia with over 20 trips to Russia, and Anabata, associate professor at the Airborne College in Eastern European Studies and Russian Politics, and has traveled to Ukraine a number of times in the past years. Here they all discuss the prospects for nuclear weapons use in Ukraine. This longer audio clip is from December 28, 2022, and starts with Anabata speaking. In
0: 1991, Ukraine was allowed to become a state. Uh, by the international community. This, this crisis bargaining, the role bargaining of independence was really occurring on two levels. Uh, first, first on the level of uh, regional, uh, regionally, uh, between Ukraine and Russia, but especially between the West and the Soviet Union. At that time, we have allowed Ukraine to become an independent state, and the nuclear issue was resolved with us at the negotiation table so i think that on the long run we will be included and that's a that's a very smooth transition into the nuclear thing which i'm glad you brought up um similar to how we the war isn't ready for negotiations i also don't think it's ready for nukes yet which isn't to say i don't think it's going to happen i just i think that putin's going to see what all these mobilized personnel get him in the over the winter, but especially in the spring? And be curious to get your reactions to that.
2: Uh, sure. So Putin has been, and uh, his emissaries have played, you know, the the nuclear blackmail card in trying to negotiate sort of at a strategic level for several months, and it has not worked out particularly well for them. And as a number of an, uh, analysts sort of suggest, you know, the minute that Putin releases a nuclear weapon, you know his his power and his negotiating position falls just drastically. So he, it remains as kind of a chip for him, but but that's sort of really the best that it gets. Beyond that, one of the things that that is worth also talking about is. Uh, and, and again, with the gift of hindsight, these things become uh, just perfectly clear. But at the time, we have to meddle through them. You know, Russia released a nuclear uh, posture statement in 2020 in a national security strategy in 2021. And the nuclear uh, posture statement, it didn't walk back Russia as a second strike only state, uh, but it definitely, I think, intentionally blurred the line. Uh, And included some language that, in essence, um, specified that the Russian Federation was willing to use a nuclear weapon to end a conventional conflict. So there was very much sort of a reference towards their um, lower-yield kind of tactical battlefield nukes that the United States and really the West, we don't really see a difference between a strategic and a tactical nuclear weapon. So those things have always been on the
3: table. Ryan, I would agree with you that—but that's—those questions always come up no matter who— who I talk to and in our classes, uh, right? Could, could Russia go, nu- well, certainly Russia can go nuclear. Would they? Again, my fear is we hear a lot, well, he wouldn't use a weapon because Xi would, would go nuts. Well, what context, D- does he hit Snake Island with a, a low yield weapon, no civilian casualties? What would drive him to that point? But, but the fact remains that this is a nuclear armed power and I think the lesson, and we've talked about this, not, not you and I, but collectively for years, the difference the possession of nuclear weapons makes in a confrontation with the United States and its allies. And I think, and, and I understand the weight the president bears on this. This is not something where in, in the NSC he can toss a coin in the air and go, hey guys, call it in the air. Heads, Heads we win, tails we lose. So he has to take that into account. But you can see how it has put safety barriers around what we are willing to do, our hesitance to provide certain weapons. When the Ukrainian drones struck deep into Russia, we were very quick out the gate to say, we're not encouraging this. We don't want escalation. And I have to believe that that is resonating again in Pyongyang and Tehran and other capitals that how the possession of these changes the calculus of the United States and its allies.
0: Yeah, it's, it's too many American analysts, analysts love nuclear deterrence only when it's applied to the other party. But of course, it applies to us as well. So yeah, that's I, I 100% agree.
1: So what that clip makes clear is that members of the U.S. government and U.S. military clearly see nuclear escalation as a real possibility and are acting accordingly. What was also hinted at in the beginning of that clip about Ukraine's nuclear weapons was also covered in an NPR article from February last year, which said, quote, Three decades ago, the newly independent country of Ukraine was briefly the third largest nuclear power in the world, end quote. The article by Mary Louise Kelly and Kat Lonsdorf says thousands of Soviet nuclear arms remained in the country after the end of the Soviet Union, and in the years after, Ukraine decided to completely denuclearize. It also states that, quote, in exchange, the U.S., the U.K., and Russia would guarantee Ukraine's security in a 1994 agreement known as the Budapest Memorandum, end quote. Some may believe that with mutually assured destruction and the supposed deterrence effect of nuclear weapons, it was wrong for Ukraine to give up their nuclear weapons and actually every country having nuclear weapons would be the best way to end war. But this is an issue that has been debated before, and it's clear that with each new nuclear power that emerges, so increases the potential for either intentional or accidental discharge of nuclear weaponry. It is my strong conviction that working people must take a strong anti-war position. Today even nuclear war is on the table. Even a 1% chance of complete destruction of the planet by human beings through nuclear war is too high. To prevent such a possibility from occurring, it is my belief that we all must push back against escalation and war and instead demand, to whatever extent we are able, for a de-escalation, ceasefires, and negotiations. Negotiation clearly does not mean that political questions are solved once and for all, but it stops the needless slaughter of working people for the ambitions of imperial power and significantly lessens the chances of the destruction of our one and only planet. It also provides space in which we can strengthen the power of working-class institutions instead. We must use such institutions to demand denuclearization of every nation on Earth once and for all. On December 13th, 1,000-plus faith leaders signed a statement calling for a Christmas ceasefire in Ukraine. One of those was Dr. Cornel West, and we leave you with a few of his words that he made in an interview about the statement on Democracy Now! on December 22nd. 2022.
0: Well, we we need to have a truce. That's the first step. This is the process. This is stage by stage, moment by moment, to have a truce and then to put pressure on both ruling classes across the board, put pressure on the power elites in both empires across the board, and then have a moral and spiritual and political galvanizing of the people from below. Because if it's dependent solely on the voices of the power elites, it's not going to happen.
1: A note. The United States is the only country ever to use nuclear weapons in hostilities when they dropped two so-called atom bombs on Japan during World War II. Several nations have exploded nuclear weapons as tests. The US, the UK, Russia, China, India, Pakistan, North Korea, France, Israel, and South Africa. Even tests can be responsible for significant contamination to humans and the environment. And that is our special, Solidarity.
0: This has been a Socialist News and Views Special Report.